This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. There's no no talking shop today, but we're going to get into a topic that I'm not quite sure uh, how long it's going to take, but uh, I'd like to address the uh, a topic that comes up quite a bit. I've done talks on this before. It comes up a lot in a lot of discussions that, that we get into. I post about it quite a bit, and I want to talk to you today about emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence and UX. I'm going to be delivering a talk on this sometime in November, but I thought it'd be a good idea to spend some time talking about it now. I'm always talking about the fact that being involved as a UX professional involves way more than just the work. It's about more than the work. That's the um, uh, a statement that I constantly make. If you're all about the things. I mean, think about it. What, what, what do we do? What types of things are normally involved in what we do? Just to name a few. Uh, think about it. Uh, wireframing. Okay. Some of us still wireframe. Yes, we still do. And it's still a, a communication piece that's really key and helpful for the work that we do. It helps to get buy-in. It helps to communicate what's going on with the design direction. It can happen during the ideation process. It happens during the formative process. It's still a thing. I know some people are not good at it or they're not familiar with it, but it's still a thing and it still has value. There are design sprints. Some people don't like design sprints. Some people feel like they're giving the design over to someone else. that They're sacrificing the design. Some people feel like we don't need to have those people in the room. And it really depends. I'm going to stop and say this now. It depends on how it's structured. It depends on what's happening. It depends on what's being done. Uh, Design sprints, as they were initially set up, were not done the right way, frankly. They were done to give people who really didn't have anything to offer from a design perspective uh, anything really to contribute. I mean, stop for a minute. I know some people might be upset already, but think about it. Design is a science, folks. Now, does everybody have something to contribute? Yes, they can. Why do you think we talk to subject matter experts? Why do we spend time interviewing people and getting insights about different things? A lot of people have different things to contribute. Some people even have ideas, ideas that are worth vetting out, folks. But you want to make sure that the UX professional, we still maintain the steering wheel. We still own the direction. That's why we're there. That's why we're we're the experts in the room. Now, if you're not an expert, experts don't mind handing it off to other people because in their minds, a lot of times, that's something else they don't have to do. And that's part of the problem. 
today, folks. That's part of, of what's going on with the whole uh, brouhaha associated with design sprints. You can have 10 people, 10 companies doing design sprints. They're all doing them a different way. So when I say design sprints, just bringing it up here, uh, please know that I understand that one design sprint is not equal to all design sprints. People are doing them differently. So I'm speaking in generalities. I want to make sure that we clarify that. And I want to take time to say a couple things about design sprints. We'll spend an entire episode talking about that in the not too distant future or about this topic. But design sprints, they're a thing that we do. That, that's just what I want to call out today. They're a thing that comes up. Um, personally, I think that a design sprint is a fantastic opportunity to get input from key stakeholders because it's not very often that we can get them all in one place. I like to take advantage of that time, get their input, but I do not take my hands off of the steering wheel. That is that is critical because if you do, uh, then you are contributing to the the really the the discounting of UX as a discipline. You you want to make sure that you maintain expert voice. You want to maintain the 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 influence and the the value proposition that UX is providing. And if you give it up and all you do is direct traffic and you become the the king of the stickies or the queen of the stickies, that's a, a downward slope that will create problems. Now I'm telling you now, you can go and do it if you want, the way you want, and <laughs> you'll find out X number of months or years down the road that you should have listened. But I'm telling you now, that's what's going to happen, And I find it interesting that people who have no experience decide to write off people who do. Uh, that's like letting the kids uh, write your household budget. But at any rate, that's, again, one of the things that we do is design sprints. We do journey maps. We do experience maps. Uh, we do heat maps. We get engaged in heat maps and eye tracking. We get engaged in creation of personas and proto-personas, and we'll stop and talk about that for a minute. Folks, personas, some people feel that personas are bad. Um, the same way that some people feel that surveys are bad. Uh, I propose to you that steak knives are not bad. Now, someone will say, someone's going to say, here he comes with another metaphor and they're laughing because they sort of kind of know where I'm going and they may have heard me say this before, uh, but steak knives are not bad. Um, some people will use a steak knife to cut their steak. Some people will use a steak knife for something they shouldn't be using it for, such as using it in place of a screwdriver to tighten the screw. Uh, if you slip, you're going to do some damage or you could do some damage to yourself. The, the tool is not, it should not be judged for its value based on what the user did with it. So a survey is not a bad thing, but a lot of people, because they have ease of, of use or ease of access when it comes to creating surveys, people who don't know how to create a survey properly, a lot of these people are creating surveys and it has people looking at surveys uh, with a, um, a, a scandalous or a scrutinous eye, so to speak. People are looking at pers personas with the scandalous and the scrutinous eye because people are creating personas and they're doing it the wrong way. And so in doing it the wrong way, that doesn't mean that the vehicle 
is wrong. It just means that somebody did it the wrong way. If if you do personas the right way, if you do surveys the right way, there's absolutely nothing wrong with them, and we need to know and understand that. But again, I'm just stopping to make a few comments. This is one of the things that we do. We get engaged in information architecture. Some of us still do. Today, we understand that the, the product of information architecture is findability. A product of information architecture is that we're facilitating the ability to complete tasks. Oh, guess what? Guess what users want to do? They want to find things and they want to complete tasks. So information architecture is at the very core of what's going on in UX. And if you lack knowledge about information architecture, then that's something as a UX professional, that's something you want to build up. That's something you want to sharpen. That's something you want to get very, very, very good at because no matter what user experience you're putting together, information architecture is a part and so it must be something that is uh, that we pay painstaking attention to detail uh, regarding it and making sure that it is optimal otherwise it doesn't matter how nice it looks it doesn't matter what's in place uh if people can't find things or complete tasks the user experience is done Uh, we engage in prototyping we use the myriad of tools that are out here to create Uh, clickable representations of the experience that we are designing. Uh, Whether you're using Marvel or Balsamic or Axure or XD or Envision or UXPen or Fluid or JustInMind or Flinto or Mockflow, the list just goes on and on and on and on and on. And we need to understand, number one, the tools are, we should be tool agnostic, Uh, You might like a particular tool. You have every right to like a tool, but please know and understand that tools are basically, they're just that, they're they're tools. And the work that we do, the more we know about UX, the more we know about what it is uh, that we need to specialize in in our craft, the, the more tool agnostic we should and will become because it's when a person is actually going through the prototype, they don't know what you created it in. They just need to actually see what the design is doing. They need to see what's going to happen when they click here or do this or that. And if you use your prototypes in usability testing, uh, the users don't care or know. So we should be tool agnostic. Use whatever you want. Go from point A to point B, but know and understand uh, that, um, again, this is just one of the things that we do, just pointing it out. Now, you see what I'm getting at when I talk about the fact that Okay, this is the work. These are the things that we do on a regular basis. These are the things that we engage in. We're engaged in heuristics and usability. We're engaged in information architecture, in research, various types of research and interface and interaction design. We give deliverables. We provide artifacts. We supply resources. But in the midst of all of these things, soft skills is interwoven. I mean, imagine you can create the best prototype. I know you've heard me say this before. Those who listen to the podcast, do you, you can create the best prototype in the world that does absolutely any and everything that somebody would want. But if you don't have the soft skills that play the role in introducing it or providing insights or explaining why you did what you did and things of that nature, 
Uh, if you don't have the soft skills to present the findings from your research in a way that is understandable for the stakeholders, for the leadership, for the team members, things of that nature, there are going to be issues. For that reason, this is one of the reasons why I have for the last few years now, about the last four or five years, I've been on record of, of stressing how critical it is for emotional intelligence to be a key focal point for user experience professionals. Now, when you take a look at emotional intelligence out in the wild, go to Amazon, look up books, go wherever your favorite book seller is. You might not like shopping at Amazon <laughs> for whatever reason. The, the point is, when you look up the different authors, the, the experts of the day, they usually identify four or five components four or five factors, if you will, that represent w what we mean when we talk about emotional intelligence. Uh, one, self-awareness. And some people say self-control is part of that as well. So when you're doing all the work that we do as UX professionals, in addition to that, you have to be very aware of yourself. You have to be in a position where you understand yourself that you're managing yourself properly, including your emotions, is really, really critical for those that are, that are younger in UX because our emotions run wild as UX professionals. When we, at the point which we are, we're more junior, your emotions are pretty much uh, scattered abroad, so to speak. And they will influence a lot of what you do. When we come through the door, we don't usually know that we should not be married to our designs. So a lot of the UXers on the lower end of the experience uh, uh, spectrum, if you will, uh, are married to their designs. When I first started, I was married to my designs. And when somebody didn't like what you did or they pushed back, it was, it was a bit of a shocker, especially when you put a ton of work into it. But really, when you're more emotionally intelligent and as you develop that emotional intelligence, you're more likely to accept the pushing back. You welcome the questions. You want somebody to push you so that you can prove things out. So self-awareness and self-control, these things are part of that state. They're very, very critical. Next, you have empathy. Empathy and I know a lot of people, some people don't even like the term. And again, it, it, it's about how do you define it? What do you consider to be empathy? That one of the reasons that some people are, or they find the term empathy to be problematic is because they're looking at it through one lens. Go and pick up any dictionary and look up practically any word, and there is more than one definition. And as you look at the different definitions, uh, the different definitions of a word apply based on the context of usage. Why people get frustrated about the word empathy is beyond me because all you need to do is look at the definitions. Define it the right way and it makes sense. Empathy, ironically, not only is it a big part of emotional intelligence, but it is also at the core of what we do as UX professionals because what we do is we look at and understand the user needs, we understand the business needs, we get input about the constraints, and we try to find the sweet spot between the three. 
You cannot engage in empathy without being aware of not only user needs, but how they feel about it, their challenges, their mental models, all of that, all of that immersion that we engage in to get deeply involved and, 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 and knowledgeable about those factors, those are all empathetic acts. Those, those are all things that are revolving around empathy. So it doesn't make sense for people to shoot down the concept of empathy because it is right. It is true. It is what we do. Uh, the definition I put in here in my presentation is that it's the ability to understand the perspectives of others. That's it. To get outside of yourself. Get outside of yourself. Look at things from someone else's perspective. Understand where they're coming from. Forget who you are. This is a major skill for UX professionals to lose yourself and basically, just for a few moments, become the other person. Understand how they think. Understand how they feel. Understand what they want to do. And then carry out your work from their perspective. That folks, is empathy. And that is, again, a part of emotional intelligence. We've got some major overlap between UX in general and emotional intelligence there. I I love that one. Number three, social expertness. The ability to build genuine relationships and bonds and to express caring, concern, and conflict, doing it in a healthy way. Social expertness is critical. I never will ever, ever, ever forget when I had a conversation with someone early in my career, shortly after I got my first full-time UX position and seeing all of the the conflict that was taking place in the midst of all the work. And I didn't, I didn't expect any of that. I was pretty shocked. And it took me for a loop. And I actually almost, I believe I told this story before, I almost walked away from UX in 2007, 2008. And when I did, it was because I really didn't understand what was going on with all the conflict. And my boss had a conversation with me one day and he said something that changed the trajectory of my career. It it was a life-changing moment. He told me, he said that some conflict is healthy. Some conflict is healthy. And, And I looked at it from the perspective that he was talking to me about it and I began to digest it, I began to understand it and it became a major part of my operation. So I wasn't concerned about the conflict anymore and I began to draw great things out of the conflict. I began to embrace the conflict and I began to build genuine relationships. That, unbeknownst to me, I had not heard the phrase emotional intelligence at the time. Once Once he told me that and I began to immerse myself in it and engage in expertise regarding it, that really helped me. And it put me in a position where social expertness became, started to become a part of who I was. And I began to understand that in order to excel in UX, I need to establish genuine relationships. I need to build bonds with people across the landscape of my stakeholders and my clients. And even within teams, even among other UX people, these things are critical. And when this definition talked about caring, concern, and and things of that nature, they have to be, again, genuine. 
genuine. I've seen people who build relationships and they're not genuine. It eventually comes out and people resent the fact that you haven't been genuine when they find out. It's best to be genuine. It's best to be honest. Even if you don't agree with something, just respectfully present it. Uh, There's something that we don't see a lot, especially in today's social media. A lot of people in social media, there's a gross lack of emotional intelligence in social media, which is why a lot of the interactions become very combative. You can disagree and not be combative. We can disagree and, and still walk arm in arm. We can disagree and still have the utmost respect for one another. We don't have to agree on everything. Somebody might not agree with what I'm saying now, and that's totally your, that is your prerogative, but it's the people who get hostile about it that become the problem, not the people who disagree and feel maybe they want to tweak something. That's fine. Tweak it. Go on. Take it and go and do something with it. Make it your own. That's all fine and dandy. The name of the game is become emotionally intelligent because it's going to help you and it's going to help the discipline. Point number four, personal influence. This is defined as the ability to positively lead and inspire others as well as yourself, to lead and inspire yourself. How about that? There, there's something a lot of people don't think or talk about today. How much influence do you have over yourself? I, I would call this self-discipline also. How easily or how good are you at, at motivating yourself to do something that you don't want to do, but it needs to be done, and then still be genuine about it? That's, that's part of emotional intelligence, folks. I'm going to do this thing. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it because it needs to be done. I'm going to do it because it's important, and I'm going to excel at it. I'm not going to do a lesser job because I don't like it. Again, this, this is where that social expertness aspect and where empathy comes into play because you have to sort of lose you and become an alter ego in, in a sense. Self-awareness and self-control are a part of that as well. And then, can you positively lead and inspire other people? Can you motivate other people to grow? Can you motivate other people to endure? Can you motivate other people to to embrace team? Can you motivate other people to to put down their 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 pitchforks and their and and their staves and their staff? Can you can you help people to stop fighting and understand the importance of the common ground? These are factors that are associated with personal influence as well. And then number five, and this will be the last one for today, we'll pick up next week, the mastery of purpose and vision at work. And these all come from Adele Lynn, by the way. The ability to bring authenticity to one's life and live out one's intentions and values. I absolutely love this, and I think this is one that you don't normally see. Adele Lynn is my favorite author when it comes to emotional intelligence, and she's one of the few that only presents five. Most other authors and experts on the subject only present four. This is the fifth. Again, mastery of purpose and vision at work, the ability to bring authenticity to one's life and to live out one's intentions and values. Can you stick to the goal at hand? Are you dedicated? Are you authentic? Again, I'm not a big fake it till you make it person, but I will do the best that I know within a given situation that I'm not in, where I'm not an expert. 
I'm going to find out what I can. I'm going to do my absolute best. I'm going to continue to learn. I find that to be a bit more constructive and a bit more genuine and authentic than a fake it till you make it. I am not going to spend any effort to fake anything. I'd rather master my purpose and vision. I'd rather bring authenticity and continue to grow in my life and live out my intentions and my values. Some people don't have any values. They don't have any intentions, so they can't do this. If you understand the difference. So this is an introduction to the topic. I want to spend a few weeks, maybe two, three weeks here, I think, talking about this, probably three. Uh, But we want to introduce emotional intelligence to the World of UX audience to help us to understand how important it is. It's not just about the work. It's about more than the work, folks. That's my saying. UX is about more than the work. Let's be about more than the work today so that we can excel in our practice and so we can do great things for the discipline as well. That's all the time that we have for today, folks. So thank you for your time. Thanks for taking the time to be with me on today and to chime in and listen to the World of UX with Darren Hood. Uh, I'm your host signing off. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.